The story of CBD is almost too good to be true. Here's this plant-based medicine, a cousin to cannabis, derived from hemp, and it's an effective treatment for everything from epilepsy and PTSD to anxiety, inflammation, and insomnia. And no one even knew about it until about 10 years ago. So how could this not be snake oil? Filmmaker David Yakovic asked himself this question and spent a year traveling around the world to uncover the answer. The result is CBD Nation, a newly released documentary that highlights stories of people whose lives were saved by CBD and explains the science behind the medical efficacy of CBD and cannabis. Because it is so versatile, there's still a lot of resistance out there to CBD, and because it's related to cannabis, you might still run into people who say, as someone told David, I don't care about the science, it's a drug. When you hear that, just ask them to spend 80 minutes watching CBD Nation. It's a brilliant and persuasive piece of filmmaking that I think you'll enjoy. And I know you'll want to hear my interview with David about how and why he made this film. Also, please stop by and see us at cannaboomwithak.com and sign up for my very succinct weekly newsletter, Five Boom Friday, focused on how cannabinoids and CBD can help you achieve better wellness. And importantly, where to look for CBD that's trusted and reliable. If you like the podcast, please subscribe at Apple or Stitcher or your other favorite podcast player. And please leave a review so other people can find the show. Thanks to our producer, Danny in Milwaukee. And here's my interview with David Yacoba. Cannabis is booming and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. It's Tom. Welcome back to the Canboom Podcast. I'm really excited for this week's guest, David Yakovic, who is director of the new documentary CBD Nation. How are you doing, David? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. So the documentary's been out for how long now? Been out for a week, two weeks. Yeah, since the 25th of August, so two weeks. And we can see it on Amazon Prime and various other channels. You can see it on Prime Video, Apple TV, uh, Google Play, you can, you know, YouTube, it, you can get it anywhere where there's VOD. You can get it on VOD on cable, anywhere where there's video on demand. I thought it was a very fresh take on not just CBD, but also cannabis and the focus that you put on research. I mean, if there is still a stigma out there, I think we can lean on it a little when we cite research. And I thought you did a good job of that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think that's Cannabis is often discussed by, by um, those who like to stigmatize it as a gateway drug, quote, uh, for, for other drugs. So, so supposedly, if you take cannabis uh, in your life, then you're going to you know, immediately take heroin. And that's shown to be nonsense. And I wanted to turn the gateway uh, idea on its head and use CBD, which is sort of an, a, a comfortable sounding word to many people who don't necessarily have uh, experience with cannabis, I wanted to take CBD and use it as a gateway for education on the science of cannabis research. Right. Well, and actually, I've heard cannabis called an exit drug. A lot of people stuck on opioids can use cannabis to help them exit that habit. You know, I, I met so many people shooting this documentary. Um, hundreds of patients who have been using cannabis to, to treat intractable problems. And I heard so many times, and it became almost absurd how many times the same exact story came into my ears, which was, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was, I was sick with A, B, C, D, E, which whatever problem, you know, pain uh, or whatever. I was sick 
everything was terrible. My life was, was in shambles. I couldn't function. I was on drugs that I was given, opio- opioids, you know, things that made me feel worse. Uh, the side effects were terrible. I was miserable. I discovered cannabis as something that could be medically useful, started, was better the next day. And I would hear this so many times that uh, my, my cameraman and I began joking that we, we, we would like jokingly roll our eyes at these stories because we were like, yeah, 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 we already know. We already know because they were so ubiquitous. And how, how weird would it be of anyone to listen to all these stories and say, eh, I'm going to just dismiss this. So instead of dismissing it, um, I, I wanted to not just rely on the anecdotes, but go into the real science and figure out what is what is the research on this. And are, are these people making it up? Or is there actual real research? And the answer is there is a shit ton of real research. And it's fascinating. And we cannot ignore it. And the mainstream, uh, uh, not the mainstream media, the, like the mainstream films that are out there, touch on the science but they don't go deep into it and so that's why i decided to focus on the research in this movie i love the way you did that because anecdotes get dismissed by the medical community and you know the medical community should demand a level of veracity through clinical trials and you know double blind placebo studies and all that but you can't discount the human side of this where, as you say, hundreds of people who had real stories, because it's an anecdote doesn't totally invalidate it. I mean, you can't you can't base policy on anecdotal evidence, but it really does change people's lives, as you found. Well, the question is, the question is, what is there other than anecdotes? And so anecdotes uh, are not in themselves a reason to, uh, to, 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 to change laws, but necessarily, I mean, maybe they are, but let's say that they're not, but, but the, the body of work on science, of science work out there is so immense that, you know, um, one of the, one of the stories that we show in the movie is, is, a and, and I think one of the most powerful medical stories out there yet, it's a little obscure in Israel. Um, some people who had leukemia and who had a, a bone marrow transplant, uh, a lot of people who have this suffer from this horrific disease called graft versus host disease or GVHD for short. And it's a really horrible disease where they have, uh, like enormous amounts of, of diarrhea and their skin becomes like peels off. It's just this horrific disease and it's, and a lot of people die from it. And what so what what happened was a few people in this ward in a big hospital in Israel went to the head of the ward and said, "We've been using cannabis and it's been it's we're we're feeling better." And so this guy, instead of dismissing it, this guy, his name is a uh, uh, Professor uh, Moshe Sharun, I think. He instead of dismissing these problems, he he thought, "Let's let's see what this is." And so he went to Professor Raphael Mishulam, who's, you know, considered one of the, the grandfather of cannabis research um, in the University of Jerusalem. And he, he told him the story and, and, and they put together a program to test this. And it went into clinical trials eventually with Israel's largest HMO. They gave them CBD, pure CBD with no THC because they were afraid of getting people high in, in the hospital. And 
the results were insane, right? Like the very high percentage points of people um, were either didn't get GVHD when it was used as a preventative or their GVHD got a lot better when it was used to treat it. And so, you know, this is an example of how anecdotal evidence points you, uh, points you where, of what, where the research. And I think that's the power of anecdotes. And if we acknowledge that, then we can tell the right story about, uh, then we can tell the, we can educate correctly, you know? Well, I struggle myself. I mean, it, it's kind of complex. Uh, I was on a podcast last week where a guy was like, I just can't believe that this could do so many things. It sounds like the snake oil that people sold out of the back of wagons. I mean, how can it cure cancer and Alzheimer's and PTSD and insomnia and anxiety? And my answer wasn't perfect, but I went back to the endocannabinoid system and the idea of homeostasis and that your endocrine system is involved, your neurotransmitters. You know, there's many systems involved. There's many illnesses illnesses that can manifest when your body is out of whack. And to bring it back to homeostasis is something that's really valuable. And that's part of why this plant is so versatile. Right. And uh, that question, how can it help so many different things, is indeed a big question. And we ask it in our movie. And inherent in asking that question is a fundamental uh, education lack. And I, and I don't say that um, disparagingly about the person asking the question. I say it as a, a disparagingly about our culture where, where, where there's, no, uh, there's not enough education on the subject. And if a person asks that and says, this is like snake oil bullshit, then this person is, is coming to it from a point of view of, hey, prove it to me, as opposed to, hey, maybe I should go learn and study and you know, start putting CBD into Google Scholar and seeing what comes up. And I, I think that the whole endocannabinoid system story is so uh, it's so mind blowing because when you realize that we have an entire system in our body that is not really taught in medical schools, where um, cannabis molecules affect it and make it work and regulate different systems in our body properly, then you start realizing, wait a minute, there's something here. When you start realizing that people with PTSD in research by top institutions are showing, uh, are presenting a lack of uh, endocannabinoids that can be enhanced by THC use. Well, then, then, uh, then we have something real here. You know, this is very real stuff. This is not anecdotes. It's real science. Yes. And you mentioned Dr. Raphael Mishulam, who, of course, is the grandfather, the godfather of, of this research. And I was so Glad to see that you got him and, and so many other kind of stars of this movement on camera. You're Israeli, so you understand how did Israel get such a big lead in this? Why did they take it so much more seriously than the U.S.? I've asked Israelis this, and um, no one is entirely sure, except that it seems like Professor Meshulam is a big part of it. Um, here's this uh, researcher who happened to be in Israel, and he was when he was young in the 60s, he was trying to figure out what to study. And he thought, oh, cannabis could be interesting to study. It came to him somehow. It occurred to him that he should study it. And the police had um, some cannabis that they had confiscated from, from uh, you know, criminals. And he, through connections, was able to get some of it from the police to study. There's a great documentary that's uh, it's, it's on YouTube. It's available to, to watch uh, called The Scientist, which is about Mishulam. And it tells about his early years of 
getting cannabis. It's very, it's very entertaining and everyone should watch it. So he was sort of the the linchpin of starting research in earnest that has made such a difference. Uh, he discovered THC, didn't he, in the early 60s? He isolated THC, which means that he he um, was able to def- describe it and isolate it from the from the plant. Um, and then a lot of different scientists from around the world started flocking to his lab to work with him. So uh, Dr. Lumir Hanush came from Czechoslovakia to Jerusalem to start working with Dr. Mishulam, and he then discovered anandamide, which is the first endocannabinoid that was discovered. And uh, through uh, Mishulam's lab, a lot of a lot of research was just done, and and uh, I think that's probably why Israel became the center of research. And also, the Israeli government is is uh, friendly to the research, and Israel is very entrepreneurial. So I think I think there's a spirit there of uh, of of trying to discover and build and create new industry. Having come from that background, is that what opened you up to this film? Or was there some specific angle, something that happened in your life that made you want to do this film? Well, I was when, when I was um, approached about doing it, uh, it, occurred, it occurred to me that I, that I have preconceived notions about cannabis. And I had thought about my history with it, which is very minimal. I had, I had been high a handful of times in my life. It was never something that I was particularly interested in. I had a lot of stigma thoughts about it. Um, I'm embarrassed now to say that I found stoners, I, I say that in quotes, um, annoying. Um, I, I didn't understand it. And I thought that CBD specifically, which I had heard of a lot, was probably bullshit, was probably some kind of wellness fad. And I probably had the same preconceived notions that you're the person you said asked you about snake oil had. And then well, everything, everything changed when I, when I, I was in Israel and I went to a, to Canatech conference and Canatech was a, a conference that, that that's about technology and, and um, business and science. And I saw all these scientists speak and I, and I realized this is not some pot conference. This is a very serious science conference and business conference, and this is not something to be discounted. And when I watched Deddy Meiri's TED Talk, where he describes killing different cancer cells of different cancers with different combinations of cannabis compounds, I, I'm, I'm looking at this serious man from a serious institute, the Technion in Haifa in Israel, which I've known since, about since I was a kid. And I thought, all right, I, I need to I need to put aside my preconceived notions because they're nonsense. There's something here that I need to learn about. And then I started examining why do I have preconceived notions? And I realized there is not enough material out there in the mainstream that is about the science of cannabis. Honestly, I'm probably coming from a, a similar place. I mean, like a lot of people, I smoked some cannabis in college and then came out into the workforce and alcohol was the more socially acceptable social intoxicant. And so for decades, that was my kind of go-to relaxant. I remember though, Sanjay Gupta doing the first of his specials on CNN where he looked at Dravet syndrome and how it helped little children deal with, well, live. I mean, they weren't going to survive that. And CBD helped them bring those epileptic seizures down and, and live a normal life. And from there, he, he did a couple more episodes that went on to PTSD and 
And it just opened the doors to the idea that this is a legit medicine. I mean, for a couple of decades, thought uh, medical marijuana is a ruse by stoners who don't want to <laughs> engage. They want to be on the couch getting high. That's not it at all. It, it's a legit medicine. And so the kind of education that you're doing is is fantastic in that it can convince some of the skeptics that this is a really legitimate medicine for a lot of different conditions. I hope so. There, there, there was something that I needed to figure out when making this movie about the tone of it in terms of how do I speak to those who are stigma-minded and who are uncomfortable with cannabis and uncomfortable with the discussion. And there was um, a couple that I sat next to on a, on a flight early on in making this and shooting this movie. And the guy was uh, sitting next to me and he saw me reading all sorts of materials on, on, uh, on cannabis. And he was very excited and wanted to talk to me about it because he was very excited about CBD because he was an MMA fighter uh, who every day after work went and did MMA. And they all used CBD because it helped their injuries. And his wife was, was climbing over this guy to yell at me about how much she hates that her husband is on drugs. And, and, uh, and she, she was adamant. And I told her, hey, I'm not, I'm not here to uh, pontificate to you, but, but do you want me to tell you about like, what I've been learning? Because I've been really learning some really interesting things about the science of this stuff. And she said this sentence to me that got branded in my brain. She said, I don't care about science. It's a drug. <laughs> and, and that's a real quote that someone said to me, someone, someone young. And, 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 and he was saying to me, yeah, like, you know, like that's the problem with people who are uneducated. It was kind of an odd, odd couple dynamic that they had. And uh. I don't know if they're still together. And so I needed to figure out how to speak to her. Right. I, maybe she's beyond, uh, you know, like wanting to learn about it, but I needed to try and speak to her. And so in making this movie, I found myself removing anything funny from it, all like humor, all um, all pot culture related things I removed because cannabis has been presented in our in our mainstream culture for so many years as a punchline or as 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 at the very least something somewhat amusing you know you remember uh, brad pitt's character in true romance one of mm -hmm. his early amazing roles where he plays this the stoner uh, uh housemate right and he's just completely stoned all the time and very funny and i don't think cannabis should be portrayed that way i think that's very stigma enforcing and as I learned about the reality of this, of this plant, I realized that I should be very serious and respectful of it and leave the humor for other movies. So I had a lot of really funny gags in the movie as I was editing it. People would say stuff that was very funny. Um, one, one person said, how can I ask, we need to change the, the names of these, of these strains because how can I prescribe Alaskan thunderfuck to someone? <laughs> I thought that was the fun, and he was an older man, and I thought it was the just the funniest thing ever. And it was in the edit for a long time until I I realized this too needs to go. I need no jokes in this movie. Well, I, I think it was effective. It's an effective technique because when you're you're done watching it, you realize, yeah, the, this isn't a joke. It's it's a real thing. 
in America right now, you might hear a lot of people say, I don't care about the science. It's just, it's too bad. If you have to make an unfunny film to, to get people to focus, I guess that that's one strategy. And I think you did it well. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, our, our, uh, I, I don't want to get particularly political because that's, uh, another thing that I was trying to do in this movie is to avoid anything that's going to confront and, uh, a viewer who is already uncomfortable with this material with uh, a political reality that they're going to be uncomfortable with because they didn't want to shut people down. But we obviously have a problem with science acceptance in America. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's rampant. And I'm hoping that one of the ways to deal with it is just by presenting, um, presenting it simply in a way that you can immediately understand is relevant to you, you know? And so if you're watching this movie, you and and you're a an extremely conservative person who is who is very deeply ingrained in the idea that cannabis is something bad and criminal but you have family members who suffer from pain cancer whatever you're not going to see this and say i'm going to withhold this information from my family or if you yourself are are, are going through pain you're going to say maybe this is something that i need to try and research more Right. An Inconvenient Truth was a documentary that f that focused on science, <laughs> and it's been more than 20 years, and, and here we are. Yeah, well, that, that, then there's that. <laughs> so so I may be completely uh, uh, delusional. I don't know. You know, I was struck by the very, be the very beginning where it's a very visceral scene where you're talking with a, a scientist who's up in Seattle in Puget Sound, and she's painstakingly doing some data collection where she's got mussels out on the shoreline. And over a period of months, the discovery is that they're soaking up a lot of drugs that are out in the water, right? Yes. And the point of that is, to me, was a real epiphany. The United States has 5% of the world's population and consumes 75% of the pharmaceuticals. And 80% of the opioids. The whole thing was mind-blowing, and I thought it was a really effective way to kick it off. At first, it was like, well, what does this have to do with cannabis? But you did an artful job of, of weaving that in, into the larger story. Well, I heard about this story and thought this is a good way into it because I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of uh, This American Life on NPR, mm -hmm. and they, they do this thing that I always really love, which is they start with a short story that, that then takes you into something completely different, which is the main story. And, I, and so I kind of copied their structure a little bit by doing this. And there's a thing with pharmaceutical drugs, which is there's a reality, which is they're often helpful to people. And so I didn't want to make a statement on, you know, I didn't want to turn this movie into some kind of like anti-pharmaceutical drug movie. I wanted to show where they're often unhelpful and, you know, and to present an idea where we're probably taking these too much. It's probably not always helpful. Let's please examine the damage that we're doing to ourselves and see if there's something else that we can do that's more healthful. That requires some finesse to, to say that. I mean, I'm, I have had discussions too where I have to say, look, I'm not anti-pharmaceutical. There are things that only pharmaceuticals can do for us and we need to have those in our medicine cabinet. But if you look at everything out there, Maybe we can take some of those pills out of the medicine cabinet and use cannabis for sleep, for anxiety, for inflammation, and begin to reduce our reliance on all these drugs. And honestly, to, and this, we're, I think we're sometimes afraid to, to go this far, but to kill cancer cells when it's figured out which exact combinations do, uh, or, or when it becomes commercialized. Uh, Deddy Mayuri's work, for example, of figuring out which uh, compounds of cannabis 
uh, kill witch cancer cells. You know, like this is a really huge story, and and uh, and we need to disregard the snake oil people that 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 are calling out snake oil, snake oil, because they're noise, and there's a reality of the science. When I grew up, I had very bad asthma. And I was in the, the hospital often with asthma attacks that I needed some like extra intense inhalation for it. And I had a, an inhaler in my pocket all the time. And I, I was always put on an inhaler and on steroids a few times. You know, I was always given these, these drugs for it. And, you know, they didn't really help. I still always had it. In my early 20s, I came across Kundalini Yoga, which is a form of yoga that really focuses on breath friend of mine was teaching it and so i went to her class and and that night after getting this high from breathing in a certain way that night i i i was outside it was cold it was new york winter and i had this realization that i don't have asthma anymore and i didn't have asthma anymore i hadn't touched an inhaler since i haven't had one in my pocket like i just did not have asthma from that moment on Wow. And the reason I think that happened was because no doctor had ever told me to pay attention to my breath. And so asthma became this this uh this thing that that was wrapped in in, in anxiety like I would feel a little uh, uneasy in my breath, you know, and I, and I would get anxious about it and it would make it worse, it would be this this snowball. Now I'm not saying that everyone with asthma is going to have the exact same experience as me, but I had bad asthma. And, and, uh, and I became mad that no doctor ever told me to look, you know, at my breathing and focus on it and work with it. And my mom, my mom's a nurse and she, it never occurred to her even to tell me that it's just, it wasn't in the, it wasn't in the, the, the language of, of the medical community. And so I think often pharmaceutical approaches are probably very, very helpful or definitely very helpful. I don't need to say probably, but not always. Right. There is sort of the army of naysayers and the resistance that they put up to the whole idea of cannabis as a legit medicine. But then there's also beyond that, there are the entrenched interests. There's a lot of money in pharmaceuticals and those people aren't going to just back off and say, oh yeah, cannabis can do this and do that. It could cure cancer, which is a lot of people are going to stumble on that and go, well, are you saying it cures cancer? I'm careful to say, no, a cure means forever, but it might be a, a treatment that can reduce the size of tumors and, and all that. What we need well, is more go, research. You can, go further. you can go further than that. You can say, yeah, it's killing cancer cells. It's causing mm -hmm. apoptosis and cancer of in, in various cancers. When you combine various combinations of compounds, go look at work from the Technion at uh, Dr. Deddy Meiri's work and, and other work. And so the answer is yes, it does kill cancer. It's just not yet commercialized, but it's very clearly happening. Right. And getting the word out so that people don't look at you sideways and go, well, you know, I've heard apricots cure cancer. There's a lot of baking soda. There's a lot of quackery around this disease that has caused so much suffering. And people are probably rightly skeptical. But I think films like yours can begin to introduce the idea that, no, this is a real medicine with real efficacy and it could change your life. Right. And, and uh, that, the apricots thing is funny because what, what, what is at the heart of this? At the heart of this is 
show me the show me the evidence, right? So if someone says, I heard apricots kill cancer, the answer is, well, I didn't. Maybe they do. Show me papers. Show me show me some studies, right? And that and that sort of takes the the joke into the realm of reality. Whereas when I say someone has been killing cancer cells with cannabis and someone says, show me the evidence, I can send them papers. And well, and that's important because I think we just tend to we, we for some reason, we're living in an environment where people think that their opinions on science when they're not scientists are relevant. Like you're you're we're living in this bizarre environment where people have opinions on virus science that should not have opinions on virus science. Right. And and uh, and I think we have to be a little more respectful of facts and of and, and, and it's easy to define facts in the scientific realm. All you need to do is go and re- and go on Google Scholar and go and look at research papers. Take some work, but you can do it. Another aspect of the film, you looked at a couple of children who really, when people see these stories, they're very moving. And, and uh, Riley had cancer. Riley had a tumor that was not cancer. She okay. had a bone tumors in her face. Mm-hmm. And um, that were not malignant, but they were spreading and they were life-threatening. And her recovery by using a lot of cannabis was uh, was un- was unparalleled for someone with that condition. Well, in the way you documented it was so striking uh, to see this young girl, the way it unfolds, and she she went to the to Delaware to the state lawmakers and really made something happen, changed the law based on what this plant did for her. And it was very striking. Yeah. And what's beautiful about that to me, well, there's many beautiful things about that, but I, I'm very enamored with the concept of breaking stigma and, and, and uh, destroying one's preconceived notions. And it's often easy in the political environment in the United States for, for us um, to think politically about everything. And for someone who's, who's let's say, a, a left, left-minded politically to say Republicans are not science-minded. But the, the two main champions of the law that ended up being Riley's Law, which allowed for minors to use medically needed cannabis in Delaware, were Republican, were Republican state uh, senator and congressman. And they were champions of this law, and they say... In the movie, one of them says in the movie, you know, we don't have enough scientists here, so, so we don't have any, anything to latch on to in trying to study this stuff. And, I, you know, it's kind of beautiful to see, to see a re- Republican senators support this, you know, for, for the right reasons. You know, again, having a young child and really telling that story, who could be against it? <laughs> who has the right to be against it? Who dares be against it? Yeah. Which, which is what the senator says. Like, how do I, what right is it of mine to say no to saving this child's life? Right. And that gets to the fact that we all have cannabis rights. How dare anyone infringe on them? It's a plant I can grow in my yard. We've used it for thousands of years. Why are there still people incarcerated and, and still being arrested every year on this? It's a great question. It's a it's a disturbing question and one that I purposely avoided dealing with in this movie because there's so many other movies that deal with it, and I wanted to not um, I wanted to not have anything that is not science in this film that is not just like pure facts. The story of Riley is a legal story, but it's 
related to the science of it, you know, and related to the to her medical anecdote. I think over time we'll see that your documentary is is a nice piece of work within the whole realm of cannabis advocacy and unbiased presentation of, of fact. I do like you You have a whole who's who of, of cannabis superstars besides Raphael Mishulam. You talk to Andrew and Steve D'Angelo and Martin Lee and Sue Sisley and, and so many other people. Did you have uh, any favorites among among all these people? Oh, God, yes. Uh, so I mean, they were all my favorite the moment that I finished the interview. Mm-hmm. So Nat, my camera cameraman, and I. Every time we finished an interview, we are or, or often when we finished an interview, we said that was the best one so far. Uh, I th- the passion that they all have is just so intense. Um, the mission driven nature of their work is so intense. Uh, it's it's really hard to define an actual favorite. Steve D'Angelo blew my mind when I interviewed him in a in a way that was unique. Because he, this guy is so sharp and so on, just like so on message and, and so smart while he is also on a lot of cannabis, which I interviewed him very early on in the process. So it, it was one of the, it was a surprise to me still at that time that people can, can consume so much cannabis and be so incredibly intelligent and smart and sharp. Yeah, he is one of those high-functioning cannabis consumers, very articulate Beautiful. and knows everybody. We had Andrew on the podcast uh, recently, and, and he's really knowledgeable too. I love what they're doing up in Oakland. I want to ask how long it took to put this project together. You were in Seattle, you were in Oakland, you were in Delaware, you were in Israel. You were all over the place. Yeah, I shot for about three months um, on and off and then edited for, it took, it took about a year. It took a little under a year. Uh, it, it was, it was, you know, kind of a the length that it takes when you're like just working full time on something and trying to get it done with laser focus. So, so that's fairly typical um, for a, a project like this. I mean, some some feature documentaries can take years. Some can take a few months. Just it just depends on it. Just depends on the amount of footage, on like how how well you're um, structured and, and you're thinking about putting it together. Uh, it, it's documentaries are kind of one of those weird animals that just have no rule. But if you were going to do a TV documentary, that's in, you know, an hour and a half, then yeah, it, it'll be something like that. Maybe a little less. The skill you brought to it to, uh, you know, I guess you have to storyboard the narrative and then get out there and, and do the interviews and then spend a lot of time narrating it in, in, in the production. That's a big job. There was no storyboard. So documentaries are strange. Every documentary is very, very different in how it's approached. It's almost like every documentary is a whole different type of artwork. Um, in this particular case, I came into it with very little knowledge, and I started researching. And then I would, I would do a lot of the research through the people that I would find to interview. Early on, they were the less famous people. And, and uh, I would go and interview them, and I would learn a lot from the interview. And... And and when I eventually found myself with uh, 50 interviews, I started editing and I had already some ideas on how to structure what I would start with. I knew I would start with that muscle story. Then I knew that I wanted the patent to be very early on. And I started figuring out structures and then you sort of build, then you storyboard. Then you write a, a very loose script and an order of how this might go, which you spend a few days on because you're looking at all your footage and trying to figure out what should go into what. 
and then you start editing. So it's almost like you come at it from the point of view of your audience, assuming they have some curiosity. So you're not coming at it primarily as an advocate, but as someone who, okay, I'm just, I'm just discovering this. I want to share it with you. Exactly. Now that all as an advocate, as I was coming, I'm, I'm trying to create a movie that I would want to watch. I, as someone who knew nothing about this, how can I speak to me as an audience and teach me something? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just put myself in that audience place and I try to pretend that I don't know anything. And I, I work based on that. That's how I usually approach making films, specific, specifically when they're about scientific um, uh, concepts. I take it your production was kind of pre-COVID? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We shot yeah. in 2018. Oh, good. Um, that's fortunate. Um, <laughs> yeah, it would have not happened uh, during COVID, I don't think. Right. Um, it would be a little less compelling if it was all on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, this is not a good production time, I'll tell you. actually yeah. shot a video two weeks ago um, for some client in, in, in the city in Manhattan, and uh, I'm, I'm in New York. And it was weird to shoot. You know, we were all wearing masks, and it's very hard to stay distant from each other when you're doing a film shoot. It was a weird experience, and New York was empty. Shooting in New York without having any sound problems is really, really disorienting. <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> you're, always, you're always stopping for sound, you know, and we didn't. You mentioned your other films. What are some of the other things you've done? And I, I did check out your website. I noticed a lot of um, live music that you've covered. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I've edited a lot of live concerts for, for, for artists. Um, there's this TV show called uh, Live from the Artists Den on PBS that I've been editing episodes for them for many years. Uh, and I, I last year directed one for the first time, which was fun. And so I love doing music stuff, but I really like doing science related content. And I've done a couple of short films on quantum physics, um, that were actually for a, for a client then. And, uh, it was, they somehow became these like little mini hits online and yeah, it's just, just a lot of, it's, it's a lot of fun to figure out how to explain very complex subjects that I don't understand to lay people. Do you see yourself continuing in the CBD cannabis realm or are you on to the next um, next topic? Well, um, I'm in COVID, COVID land these days, you know, like everyone. So so it's, it's, it's a little hard to know what's next. After finishing my movie and between it, finishing it and it coming out, I did some, some history show for National Geographic about World War II, the Air Force in World War II. Um, and I don't know what's next. It's a, there's all sorts of ideas in my head. A lot of them are science related. A lot of them are not. Cannabis is a world that I loved being in um, because everyone that I met through that in that world was just delightful. I would remark often to people that it's weird that everyone I meet is so nice. It's it, it, you, you don't usually find yourself working with a sector where everyone's just lovely, you know. And uh, so I'd love to do more stuff in it. Um, but I don't know yet what that will be. I, th- I think it's an interesting space in that almost century of prohibition. Everything was underground and, and there were hippies who were convinced of the value of this medicine. And some were in it for the money, but it was so dangerous that, you know, there are safer ways to make money. But now th- there will be moneyed interest coming in, which may change the the tenor of the relationships from just being so focused on the, the medical efficacy to the profit potential. I don't know, but, uh, that'll That's be interesting to see. That's very yeah. possible. And, and, uh, you know, it's both unfortunate and necessary. Yes. David, is there anything we haven't covered that we should? Uh, 
go vote in November. That's it. For sure. But vote to protect your cannabis right. We can't take them for granted. There's still a, a stigma out there. There's still denial on it. And there are people who would want to roll back, you know, the 34 states that have medicinal cannabis laws on the books. And we have to try to protect those at the state level and, and hopefully eventually at the federal level we're, we're legal too. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add something to that beyond my little heavy handed, like a uh, go vote moment, which is the thing about cannabis that is so mystifying to people is the fact that we don't know anything about it. And I think a little bit of education, really 10 minutes of, of educating yourself online or 80 minutes by watching this movie can go so far in changing one's perception and one's life. Um, because, you know, people with pain, with intractable pain, are often helped by it, but they often don't want to touch it because, you know, because of a, a whole world of, of uh, reefer madness in their head. And I think it really doesn't take very much to to make one realize, hmm, there's, there's something I should look into here. Go watch Deddy Mayuri's TED Talk. Go watch CBD Nation. Go look at Google Scholar. It, it'll change. It'll change your. It'll change your life in a way that's so beautiful. You know. That's a big point, and I think you know we've we've kind of danced around the the topic of trying not to be political, but we're in such a weird age where somebody can climb over her husband and say, I don't care about the science. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. you know, trying to, uh, I don't know if there's a judo trick where you can engage someone like that and flip them and get them to, you know, you don't have to be a scientist. You just have to kind of put your preconceived notions aside and look at this story about this little girl and what it did for her life and what it, it might, it, it could do for many other lives. David, Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about the film. And I want to make sure we can find you online. Where do we find you online? Um, the movie you can find on, uh, on Prime Video. You can find it on, on Apple TV. You can find it on various cable VOD platforms. Uh, you can buy it on YouTube. It's, it's not very much money to, to rent it. It's like $4 or something. Um, my website is davidjaku.com, davidjaku.com. And... Yeah, write me if you see the movie and have anything to tell me about how much you loved it or hated it. The film really deserves wide viewership, and, and I hope uh, we can help you achieve that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's lovely speaking to you. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K dot com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.